Part 4, Propositions 56 to 60 of The Ethics by Spinoza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by OK. The Ethics by Benedict de Spinoza. Translated by R. H. M. Elways. Part 4, Propositions 56 to 60. Proposition 56. Extreme pride or dejection indicates extreme infirmity of spirit. Proof. The first foundation of virtue is self-preservation. Part 4, Proposition 22, Corollary. Under the guidance of reason. Part 4, Proposition 24. He therefore who is ignorant of himself is ignorant of the foundation of all virtues and consequently of all virtues. Again, to act virtuously is merely to act under the guidance of reason. Part 4, Proposition 24. Now he that acts under the guidance of reason must necessarily know that he so acts. Part 2, Proposition 43. Therefore, he who is in extreme ignorance of himself, and consequently of all virtues, acts least in obedience to virtue. In other words, Part 4, Definition 8, is most infirm of spirit. Thus, extreme pride or dejection indicates extreme infirmity of spirit. Quod erat demonstrandum. Corollary. Hence it most clearly follows that the proud and the dejected specially fall a prey to the emotions. Note, yet dejection can be more easily corrected than pride, for the latter being a pleasurable emotion and the former a painful emotion. The pleasurable is stronger than the painful. Part 4. Proposition 18. Proposition 57. The proud man delights in the company of flatterers and parasites, but hates the company of the high-minded. Proof. Pride is pleasure arising from a man's overestimation of himself. Definition of the Emotions, 28 and 6. This estimation the proud man will endeavour to foster by all the means in his power. Part 3, Proposition 13, Note. He will therefore delight in the company of flatterers and parasites, whose character is too well known to need definition here, and will avoid the company of high-minded men, who value him according to his deserts. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note. It would be too long a task to enumerate here all the evil results of pride, inasmuch as the proud are a prey to all the emotions though to none of them less than to love and pity. I cannot, however, pass over in silence the fact that a man may be called proud from his underestimation of other people, and therefore pride in this sense may be defined as pleasure arising from the false opinion whereby a man may consider himself superior to his fellows. The dejection, which is the opposite quality to this sort of pride, may be defined as pain arising from the false opinion whereby a man may think himself inferior to his fellows. Such being the case, we can easily see 
that a proud man is necessarily envious. Part 3, Proposition 41, Note. And only takes pleasure in the company who fool his weak mind to the top of his bent and make him insane instead of merely foolish. Though dejection is the emotion contrary to pride, yet is the dejected man very near akin to the proud man. For inasmuch as his pain arises from a comparison between his own infirmity and other men's power or virtue, it will be removed, or in other words, he will feel pleasure, if his imagination be occupied in contemplating other men's faults. Whence arises the proverb, the unhappy are comforted by finding fellow sufferers. Contrariwise, he will be the more pained in proportion as he thinks himself inferior to others. Hence none are so prone to envy as the dejected. They are specially keen in observing men's actions with a view to fault-finding, rather than correction, in order to reserve their praises for dejection, and to glory therein, though all the time, with a dejected air. These effects follow as necessarily from the said emotion as it follows from the nature of a triangle, that the three angles are equal to two right angles. I have already said that I call these and similar emotions bad, solely in respect to what is useful to man. The laws of nature have regard to nature's general order, whereof man is but a part. I mention this in passing, lest any should think that I have wished to set forth the faults and irrational deeds of men, rather than the nature and properties of things. For as I said in the preface to the third part, I regard human emotions and their properties as on the same footing with other natural phenomena. Assuredly, human emotions indicate the power and ingenuity of nature, if not of human nature quite as fully as other things which we admire and which we delight to contemplate. But I pass on to note those qualities in the emotions which bring advantage to man, or inflict injury upon him. Proposition 58. Honour, gloria, is not repugnant to reason, but may arise therefrom. Proof. This is evident from definition of the emotions 30, and also from the definition of an honourable man, part 4, proposition 37, note 1. Note. Empty honour, as it is styled, is self-approval, fostered only by the good opinion of the populace. When this good opinion ceases, there ceases also the self-approval. In other words, the highest object of each man's love. Part 4, Proposition 52, Note. Consequently, he whose honour is rooted in popular approval must, day by day, anxiously strive, act and scheme, in order to retain his reputation. For the populace is variable and inconstant, so that if a reputation be not kept up, it quickly withers away. Everyone wishes to catch popular applause for himself, and readily represses the fame of others. The object of the strife being estimated as the greatest of all goods, each combatant is seized with a fierce desire to put down his rivals in every possible way, till he who at last comes out victorious is more proud of having done harm to others than of having done good to himself. This sort of honour, then, is really empty, being nothing. The points to note concerning 
shame, may easily be inferred from what was said on the subject of mercy and repentance. I will only add that shame, like compassion, though not a virtue, is yet good, in so far as it shows that the feeler of shame is really imbued with the desire to live honourably, in the same way as suffering is good as shown that the injured part is not mortified. Therefore, though a man who feels shame is sorrowful, he is yet more perfect than he who is shameless and has no desire to live honourably. Such are the points which I undertook to remark upon concerning the emotions of pleasure and pain. As for the desires, they are good or bad, according as they spring from good or evil emotions. But all, in so far as they are engendered in us by emotions wherein the mind is passive, are blind, as is evident from what was said in Part 4, Proposition 44, Note, and would be useless if men could easily be induced to live by the guidance of reason only, as I will now briefly show. Proposition 59 To all the actions whereto we are determined by emotion, wherein the mind is passive, we can be determined, without emotion, by reason. Proof To act rationally, is nothing else, part 3, proposition 3, and definition 2, but to perform those actions which follow from the necessity of our nature, considered in itself alone. But pain is bad, in so far as it diminishes or checks the power of action, part 4, proposition 41, wherefore we cannot by pain be determined to any action which we should be unable to perform under the guidance of reason. Again, pleasure is bad only in so far as it hinders a man's capability for action. Part 4, Proposition 41 and 43. Therefore, to this extent, we could not be determined by it to any action, which we could not perform under the guidance of reason. Lastly, pleasure in so far as it is good is in harmony with reason, for it consists in the fact that a man's capability for action is increased or aided. Nor is the mind passive therein, except in so far as a man's power of action is not increased to the extent of affording him an adequate conception of himself and his actions. Part 3, Proposition 3 and Note Wherefore, if a man who is pleasurably affected be brought to such a state of perfection that he gains an adequate conception of himself and his own actions, he will be equally, nay more capable, of those actions to which he is determined by emotion, wherein the mind is passive. But all emotions are attributable to pleasure, to pain, or to desire. Definition of the emotions, for, and explanation. And desire, definition of the emotions, one, is nothing else but the attempt to act, therefore, to all actions, whereto we are determined by emotion, wherein the mind is passive, we can be determined without emotion by reason. Quod erat demonstrandum. Another proof. 
A given action is called bad in so far as it arises from one being affected by hatred or any evil emotion. But no action, considered in itself alone, is either good or bad, as we pointed out in the preface to part four. One and the same action being sometimes good, sometimes bad. Wherefore, to the action which is sometimes bad, or arises from some evil emotion, we may be led by reason. Part 4. Proposition 19. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note. An example will put this point in a clearer light. The action of striking, in so far as it is considered physically, and in so far as we merely look to the fact that a man raises his arm, clenches his fist, and moves his whole arm violently downwards, is a virtue or excellence which is conceived as proper to the structure of the human body. If then a man, moved by anger or hatred, is led to clench his fist or to move his arm, this result takes place, as we showed in part two, because one and the same action can be associated with various mental images of things. Therefore, we may be determined to the performance of one and the same action by confused ideas or by clear and distinct ideas. Hence it is evident that every desire which springs from emotion wherein the mind is passive would become useless if men could be guided by reason. Let us now see why desire, which arises from emotion wherein the mind is passive, is called by us blind. Proposition 60. Desire arising from a pleasure or pain that is not attributable to the whole body, but only to one or certain parts thereof is without utility in respect to a man as a whole. Proof Let it be assumed, for instance, that A, a part of a body, is so strengthened by some external cause that it prevails over the remaining parts. Part 4, Proposition 6 This part will not endeavour to do away with its own powers in order that the other parts of the body may perform its office. For this, it would be necessary for it to have a force or power of doing away with its own powers, which, by part 3, proposition 6, is absurd. The said part, and consequently the mind also, will endeavour to preserve its condition, wherefore, desire arising from a pleasure of the kind aforesaid has no utility in reference to a man as a whole. If it be assumed, on the other hand, that the part A be checked, so that the remaining parts prevail, it may be proved in the same manner that desire arising from pain has no utility in respect to a man as a whole. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note. As pleasure is generally, part 4, proposition 44, note, attributed to one part of the body, we generally desire to preserve our being without taking into consideration our health as a whole to which it may be added that the desires which have most hold over us, part 4, proposition 9, take account of the present and not of the future. End of part 4, propositions 56 to 60. Recording by OK.